Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to In All Honesty, the podcast where you get the honest answers you didn't know you needed. And I'm Michelle Elman. I'm a five board accredited life coach and I use my experience from this to answer all the questions that have been on your mind lately. This week we are talking about red flags and this is something I quite enjoy talking about on my social media. Red flags are a term that have been used to death though, especially on social media. And yet, most people don't even know what they mean and most people use the term incorrectly so hopefully this podcast is going to fix that so here's a very simple definition just to get started red flags simply put are warning signs of potential danger ahead not confirmed danger not definite danger potential danger ahead red flags can be something that can be quite universal like someone calling you stupid Or it can be something quite personal. So if a person is looking for an ambitious partner, a red flag for someone who isn't ambitious might be a person who doesn't like their job and doesn't care what job they do as long as they make enough money to survive. Red flags can also differ based on what kind of relationship you are looking for. So a red flag in a partner may not be the red flag you are looking for in a friendship. Where the confusion lies and how the word is misused most often is that people will use the word red flag or the words red flag to describe the actual problematic behaviour. For example, someone hitting you is not a red flag. That's the actual behaviour. The red flag for physical violence might have been controlling behaviour that preceded this moment or your partner getting angry because you wanted to see a friend. That's the red flag. Red flags in themselves are not a reason to end a relationship but they should be noticed and you should keep a mental note so that if a pattern arises you are able to detect it faster. Also I should add red flags is not a term that was created for relationships it is a term that was used outside of the context of relationships. For example within the medical field a doctor might say that your scan has a red flag for cancer. It's not a red flag for every disease and it doesn't mean you have cancer but one type of cancer it might be a red flag for and also that red flag might turn out to be nothing just like in relationships sometimes a red flag that you've noticed turns out to be nothing or it could turn out to be cancer so I want us to start thinking about red flags as this because that's the actual definition and there is a reason why we use the actual definition because red flags are useful in that context if you start breaking up with every person because of a red flag that is not useful that is not helpful I think also another area of confusion is the idea that we're always meant to foresee red flags and that is practically impossible because of that cliche that hindsight is twenty twenty. And I can't actually remember a single relationship in my life where I was able to spot every single red flag in the moment and didn't notice more once the relationship was over. I think everyone's had that. The relationship ends and you start going oh and there was that, oh and that, oh my god how did I not notice that, that is normal and beating ourselves over the head and self-blaming and self-accusing ourselves of things that we didn't notice because we didn't have the foresight to be a mind reader from the future is not realistic and again not very helpful. 
And largely this comes down to the fact that a warning sign is essentially a sign of something to come, but that also means a lot of warning signs or red flags were just false signals. And I do think there is a danger in walking into every relationship with a clipboard, overanalyzing every single comment or thing that a person does. So I think there is a balance between over-romanticizing a person and ignoring red flags that are definitely appearing and you are refusing to look at and then also being too over-analytical and so the balance is what I call being conscious and grounded in a relationship. So be aware but also be able to be in the moment with the person and actually enjoy your time together and if the relationship ends and there were things that you missed that's just the journey of life and you know for next time. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world that we sometimes have to go through mistakes and learn from those mistakes. And obviously, by being conscious, you do avoid the unnecessary mistakes. But part of that is also about being human and that all of us, to an extent, have to learn from our past. So this idea that avoiding red flags means you will never get hurt is so flawed. It just doesn't happen like that. And it can lead to people reaching for perfectionist relationships and frankly that doesn't exist and again this is why I'm quite hesitant to warn people against breaking up with every single person who they notice a red flag but at the same time do not bury your head in the sand because that's not helpful either. Balance, nuance, complexity, that's all the things I'm about on this podcast and in real life. So let's bring a little bit of that to these contexts and I'll discuss all the specific red flags that are going to come up in the questions but bear in mind this broader principle of we're not using self-blame or um, negative self-talk as a way of making us feel bad for something that hasn't happened yet. So let's get into the questions. I want to see what's on your mind. Hi, Michelle. Um, So I am 27. I'm um, doing online dating at the moment and it's not going too well, to be honest. Um, So one of the main issues that I'm finding is that what is important to me is to be asked questions in every step of the dating process. Um, I want someone who asks about me, asked about my day, asked about my interests, what's going on in my head, things like that. I'm not talking a lot of questions, but just a few sprinkled in to show that they really care about who I am and what I have to say, because I do think that I am an interesting person. Um, Many of the dates that I go on, so about 95% are just men talking at me. So I primarily date men. Um, And this is an issue that I just find a lot to the point that my mum will ask how a date has gone, see my face and go, oh, he didn't ask you any questions, did he? Um, So I have started like this vetting process. I've been doing I've been online dating for about two years and I started this vetting process probably about a year ago. If a guy doesn't ask me a question in about four messages, then he's out. I don't want to speak to him anymore on the apps. So I'm kind of trying to get rid of that already, someone that's not going to just chat at me. Um, So I am attempting to make that better. But I feel like maybe my expectations on this are getting too high. I know that this is vital to me in a relationship, but I'm trying to figure out if what I'm asking for is too much. Um, So do men truly not ask as many questions and just talk about themselves more than women do? And will I just have to kind of become accustomed to that? Or shall I keep my priorities in check? Are there people out there that basically will ask questions because I'm just kind of losing the will on it, to be honest? Thank you. Hey there, thank you so much for your question. So online dating is definitely a skill. To be honest, dating in general is a skill. And we almost assume we should be able to be born with the skill in the same way that we were technically born with the skill to socialise. But we forget that we also learn how to socialise too. We learn how to have a conversation. And those are skills as well. Those are skills we had to learn as well as dating. So dating is no different. And it's okay if it isn't going well yet. That's where the emphasis is. The emphasis is on the yet. 
I would also not measure the success of online dating on how quickly you can get a relationship or whether you get a relationship out of it at all. Because not only does this suck the fun out of it, but also that isn't actually what determines the success of it. Success from dating could simply be having a good time one evening. But I believe thinking like this, putting it in a clear category of success versus failure, isn't a helpful mentality, puts a lot of pressure on you and it just doesn't need to be there. That pressure isn't going to help you. So I've included your voice note in this episode specifically because someone who talks about themselves and only talks about themselves is of course a massive red flag. You say that it's important for you to be asked questions about yourself but isn't that important to everyone? Because as much as the specific questions aren't important, To an extent, it indicates whether someone has an interest in you, right? Who wants to date someone or even have a conversation with someone who literally only talks about themselves? When someone only talks about themselves, it's because they want attention. And they want that attention so much that essentially you become interchangeable. It doesn't matter whether it's you or the next person, because to be honest, what they need is a vessel simply asking them questions. Sometimes this happens because they are simply not interested in you as a person, they frankly don't want to know about you and this could be because they want a casual relationship or it could just be that they're very self-centred and them enjoying having their ego inflated by continually talking about themselves. So essentially the entire voice note to me sounded like you know that this is a red flag but you are almost talking yourself out of it because you have noticed this red flag a lot And yes, this does happen on dating apps a lot because frankly, dating apps are a great tool for someone who is in need of attention. And I don't think it's a gendered thing. I don't think it's just men. I think women do this too because it's great for women to get attention on a dating app. Even if you don't meet anyone in person, it's a wealth of conversations that you could have. And most people don't have as many text conversations going on as they could potentially have on a dating app because there's a wealth of people on there and there are also a lot of women going on dates just as an opportunity to talk about themselves and part of the nature of dating apps is weeding out those people in the texting part of the conversation and that's not necessarily a bad thing. So I'm going to address the part of the voice note where you asked if your expectations are getting too high. Do I think they are getting too high? No, absolutely not as long as you aren't being too specific in what qualifies as a question about you or too formulaic in whether you are asked information or you offer information. So just like in a normal conversation with friends, sometimes you'll be told a story and then you'll offer up your own story, not because someone asked, but just as a normal part of a conversation and they might then ask a question about the story that you just told in the same way that you might not ask a question about every single story they tell, but if it interests you, you'll ask more details, you'll ask more questions. And so I definitely think there's a difference between not asking you any questions versus only talking about themselves and it's them only talking about themselves that's the actual issue the dating conversation doesn't need to sit in this format of you ask a question and then I ask you a question but there needs to be a general interest in who you are as a person how you think and your life experiences so if I look at my most recent dating conversation we had been talking about Australia for two days quite random I know but true that is actually what we're talking about um at least my latest dating conversation and it started because he said he may move there and no he didn't ask about me but I also didn't ask about him because it was a normal part of conversation and I just made a comment as opposed to a question of saying oh I traveled there for a month and then he asked oh whereabouts so as much as like the beginning of the conversation he didn't actually ask about me and I didn't actually ask about him there is a level of interest that like I still was talking about what he was talking about Um, and if you were just looking at that conversation very formulaically it could be seen as me changing the conversation to talk about myself but we're actually still talking about Australia which is why as long as you're not being formulaic or um, too specific about what's talking about you and what's talking about them that is also a part of normal conversation And overall in the conversation, he has asked me about me. And overall in the conversation, I have asked him about him, but maybe not precisely within the first four messages and not with every single comment that is made. But 
I also trust your judgment and I also trust your common sense. So in short, no, I don't think your expectations are too high as long as you're being sensible and maybe be a little bit more flexible on the four messages thing. Because if the messages are interesting, but not specifically asking about you, then just enjoy the conversation. Maybe have it as a flexible rule as opposed to a rigid rule. Where my curiosity lies though is why are you being so hypervigilant about this and as much as these people do exist on dating apps in high quantities, this happening so frequently does suggest a pattern in which case I think we need to dig into this and question why this might be the case. I want you to ask yourself one question. How does it make you feel when someone doesn't ask you about you? Pause the podcast now and actually think about this before proceeding. Write it down even, every single feeling you feel when someone doesn't ask you about you. Pause the podcast and go do that now. And then when you're ready, come back to this. So what did you actually write down? Was it ignored? Was it rejected? Was it unimportant? And now I want you to ask yourself, who in your childhood made you feel this way? This is what you need to work on and heal. My hunch is someone who was a key adult in your childhood talks about themselves a lot and never asks you about you. This is why you notice it so much more and also why you will unconsciously be responding and reacting to it more than the average dating app user because it's familiar to you. So as much as consciously you hate it, unconsciously it will make you feel safe and that's why it continues happening. That realisation might be enough for you to shift it, but you might have to do more healing work around it in order to change this happening on the app. So even just sitting with the feeling of rejection or sitting with the feeling of being ignored and then go back to your first memory of being ignored, of being rejected, of feeling like no one was listening to you and picture yourself at that age and talk to that child Tell them they didn't deserve that and that you're listening to them now and actually sit there and listen to that child talk to you. Things will come out of her mouth. She will want to tell you things and hear everything they need to say to you. You might have a number of memories that you need to work through and let surface and take each one individually and each time your inner child might have something different to say. But go through those exercises and those exercises can take a few days. It's not going to happen in one sitting or one evening. And it might even take a few weeks. But if you do this, I won't be surprised if your experience on dating apps shifts really quite quickly. So I'm sending you so much love and I really hope that was helpful. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. 
This week in Dissecting Dysfunctional Conversations, we are talking Real Housewives of New York. Every week I dissect dysfunctional conversations that I see on TV and we use it as an opportunity to improve our own communication. And this week is a little bit of a throwback to the first ever DDC section, the first ever Dissecting Dysfunctional Conversations section. Some of you might be thinking, we've already talked about Real Housewives. No, we talked about Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and I am disappointed to say I have now started my second Housewives series, this time New York. I do find I have to take breaks after a few seasons though because it's quite intense and the bitchiness does wear off on you um, or at least it wears off on me but there is nothing like reality TV to switch off my brain and what perfect examples of dysfunctional conversations. So this week, I am talking about Bethany, who is dating a guy called Jason. Jason has been divorced and has had two kids, and Bethany has never been married. So here enters the classic situation of Bethany wanting kids, Bethany wanting to be married, but Jason has told her he doesn't want to get married or have kids, and he doesn't know when he's going to be ready. She breaks it off with him, rightfully so, and then next episode she's back with him because in her words she doesn't know how she's going to live without him she then goes on to say if I really want to make it work it can work I'm not ready to give up the relationship for a bunch of rules and guidelines that life and myself have given me and I don't think I've owned up to the fact that I truly can't live without him Later in the episode, she continues, saying, If we are meant to be together and we have a healthy relationship, then everything will fall into place. Which is funny, because at some point in the episode, she says she used to be really unhappy with Jason's schedule. So there are clear warning signs she is living in fantasy that everything she's saying is not actually how it is in reality. Essentially, the story she is telling herself is that if she can forget about marriage and kids, this guy is perfect. But if you aren't happy with how little someone is seeing you, then there is a big crack in your story. And if someone isn't offering you marriage, kids or much time, and that's what you're looking for, it actually indicates she's in a relationship with someone who isn't emotionally available because they're not available for what she actually wants. This is an example of how people talk themselves into settling and staying in relationships way longer than they should. And it's simply out of fear. Bethany can make up as many stories as she likes, but the fact is that she wants marriage and kids. So if you love someone and they aren't meeting your criteria, that's more important than loving someone because you will always find someone to love who will meet those criteria. When she says, if I really want to make it work, it can work. In a way, she is right. But what she isn't acknowledging is that making it work means ignoring her needs, bearing the resentment that will arise from ignoring those needs and staying in a relationship which ultimately won't make her happy because you are mismatched on what you are looking for. When she says she can't live without him, again, it's another story she's telling herself. You are a separate human being. You existed before him. You will exist after him. And in regards to the rules and the guidelines that life and myself have given me, again, her words, it's not a rule, it's a need or a want, but to phrase it as a rule that something society is doing to her is ignoring the fact that she wants it too. She's not having kids or wanting kids because she thinks that that's a good way to be a woman. She's wanting it because she actually wants it. And finally, that sentence where she goes, it will all fall into place, is the greatest story she is telling herself and the biggest illusion. How are things going to change by doing nothing different? The illusion that he is going to magically want kids and marriage one day when he has no motivation to change, he is not interested in changing and ultimately he is not the problem is an illusion. By the way, she's not the problem either, but they are mismatched. So the relationship is the problem. Later in the episode, she starts talking about her father and this illuminates the whole thinking behind this and why she's staying in this relationship because a father-daughter relationship often teaches you how to relate to men. She says how her whole childhood was drama and instability and then goes on to say, my boyfriend is an unbelievable human being and not at all like my father. My boyfriend is absolutely reliable, totally solid and completely stable and I realise he's my soulmate. Except... Being in a relationship with an emotionally unavailable man is exactly like replicating the pattern with your father. 
A lot of the time, people like Bethany think their partner is not like their parent because they aren't doing the exact same thing their parent is doing. So I've heard people say, but my boyfriend doesn't hit me, but my dad used to hit me, so that's why they're different. No, he doesn't have to do the exact same thing, but does he make you feel the same way your dad does? Do you have the same emotions coming up? Because my guess is yes, this boyfriend makes Bethany feel the same abandonment as her father did when he has no time for her in his schedule. I would also guess that her boyfriend also makes her feel the same instability that she experienced in childhood when her boyfriend won't commit to her or even give her an answer on when he can commit. We attract what's familiar, so just because we aren't the same human being, they aren't the same human beings, doesn't mean it's not the same pattern. Hi Michelle, uh, thank you for listening to my voice note. I've been really enjoying your podcasts. I was wondering how to recognize more subtle signs of emotional unavailability in someone. I always stand up dating emotionally unavailable men in the sense that they later on in our relationship after a few years don't talk about the stuff that is actually bothering them and they don't prioritize me or our relationship much however in the beginning they always seem to be the complete opposite of that wanting to spend time with me showing interest appropriate romantic gestures etc so i'm wondering what I'm maybe not seeing in the beginning. Thanks again. Love, Elisa. Hey there. Thank you so much for your question. This is such an important question and exactly what I wanted to address in this podcast around how we hyper-focus on red flags. So trying to spot the red flags for emotionally unavailable people is like trying to deal with the effect rather than looking at the cause. And I think it's harder to do it this way around. And instead, we need to look at why you have a pattern or a habit of dating emotionally unavailable people and heal it at the source of the problem. So if I were to ask you, how are you emotionally unavailable? Whatever the answer to that question is, is where you need to start. Do you keep people at arm's length? Do you have difficulty expressing your emotions? Do you keep a mask up when interacting with other people? If you were to be vulnerable with people, would that feel like you were naked or exposed? When we get into a number of emotionally unavailable situations, it isn't a coincidence. It often is because it feels familiar to you. Likelihood is someone in your childhood was emotionally unavailable to you and that's why you look for that in the people you date because you were taught that was love. I know I sound like a parrot with the previous question, but this is a really good tool and key to start digging into your wounds and figuring out why you are the way you are and why certain things continually happen to you. A good exercise for you to do is to sit down and this is a long exercise, so maybe clear an evening to do this and go through every single one of your relationships and write down specific instances of them being emotionally unavailable and then write what an emotionally available person would do in the exact same situation. You might surprise yourself. You might actually not know what emotional availability looks like, especially if you've never dated someone like that or had great examples of that within your childhood. In terms of more subtle red flags, I would say physical distance is a subtle one. What you might find is that emotionally unavailable people tend to get into a lot of long distance situations or have such a busy schedule that they can never ever see you. And that's not to say every single long distance relationship is emotionally unavailable, but that some emotionally unavailable people use distance as a protection mechanism because it means they only really have to be on or in a relationship properly for a shorter period of time. So if that's one week and a month versus every single day, it feels safer and more manageable. Another exercise I want you to do is write down how an emotionally available person would appear to you in all of its details. So it could be something like, is open to talking about their feelings. Rather than writing a list of red flags, it's important to make it personal to you. So alongside this, it would also be useful for you to look back and look at all the red flags you missed of emotional unavailability. And this could be specific sentence that was said or certain behaviours. So if I were doing this exercise and I was using my own experiences, my red flags would be uh, when a person has hesitancy around booking dates. 
I was always the person suggesting plans or booking things, a reluctance of expressing emotions. And sometimes it's as obvious as someone saying they don't know what they're looking for really early on. Or a recent red flag I noticed on a date was as obvious as him saying his ex said it was hard for him to open up. I mean, I believe the ex, especially when you've decided to drop that in on the first date. Because why would you go out of your way to mention that to me on a first date unless that was meant to be a forewarning in a, well, I did warn you kind of way. While they might be making time for you in the very beginning, I would question whether it took years in order for red flags or warning signs to start appearing. Because as much as they are making time for you and giving you romantic gestures, not sharing their feelings is not a trait that comes out of nowhere and is likely there from very early moments but perhaps you missed it because it was early on and therefore you didn't want to push it or actually an early warning sign is whenever you are talking about them and their feelings they actually move the conversation back to you so you might not have noticed it because that's quite a subtle way of someone not getting into how they actually feel. Also, as you said, they are sharing you in gifts early on and then not so much later on. One of the warning signs of emotional unavailability is inconsistency. They will get close to you and then they'll pull away and then they'll get close to you. And once they've had enough, they'll pull away again. So it's always on their terms. Some people term the intense part of the relationship, the part where they're showering you with gifts as love bombing, where they shower you with extreme affection to hook you in with no intention of fulfilling that commitment or maintaining that affection and intimacy. So another warning sign of that is if something moves too quickly or intensely. I could keep listing red flags for emotional unavailability because there aren't just so many. But the key to all of this is to look inside yourself, look at the relationships from childhood, look at why emotional unavailability is familiar to you and why that might have taught you that emotional unavailability is love and then use the exercises I shared to work through it. I hope that helps and I'm sending you so much love. This week's three quick tips are on how to be more conscious in your relationships so you can spot red flags. Number one, ground yourself more. So this means to stop living in your head and more in your body. When we live in our head, we create stories, we create fantasies about the relationship we are in rather than seeing the reality. We see what we imagine and we build up the person into a person who they aren't. One way to do this is to control your breathing, slow down your breath, slow down your thinking and also this will take you out of your head and into your body. Number two, there is no rush. It is when we get carried away with a relationship that we get lost in it and we don't notice the red flags that are right in front of us. So if a relationship is moving really quickly and intensely, you maybe will feel slight discomfort around it but then you aren't doing anything about it. I would ask yourself, what is the rush? Often when people rush, what is underlying is the fear of losing someone. So you are much more likely to build an unhealthy relationship on this idea if you go slowly. And if that's the reason you lose someone because you went too slowly, then those are the type of people you want to lose. Those are the type of people who likely wanted sex and will likely ghost or dash as soon as they fulfill their needs. Number three, don't tell so many people about your first few dates. When we tell someone how a date went, we automatically have to build a story in our heads. And once you've told more than one person, you actually cement that story of the date. And as a result, we lose all other parts of the dates as memories and also might have a tendency to elaborate or embellish to elicit a certain reaction or make a better story. One of the healthiest things you can do, especially for a first or second date, is to not tell anyone or at a push, only tell one person because you are much more likely to keep the memory intact and not just see the good bits, but see it all accurately. And as a result, you're much less likely to miss red flags. Hi, Michelle. Um, My name's Kate. I wonder if you can just help with an issue I seem to keep having. It's in regards to dating and just generally chatting to guys in that I just seem to keep repeating the same behaviours and patterns. I seem to meet someone, we get on and exchange a number and sort of message backwards and forwards and I think it's going really well um, or it's really good fun to message them and 
things like that and then maybe have met up on an occasion um and it seems to have gone well but then the messaging just sort of seems to tail off recently some guy who I thought it was going really well just completely ghosted me um even literally a few times before he did ghost me I he sent me a text message you know that said um I really enjoy your company well to me why would you then ghost someone if you're telling them that um but it's happened again recently where I was doing lots of chatting online to someone and then they just sort of went quiet and I just kind of didn't really do much about it and then realized that I was the one asking to sort of meet up and get in touch with them and so I thought well I'm going to actually leave it and now it's kind of stopped and obviously I did that usual thing of rereading messages and the messages all seemed really good and they seemed positive and interesting I just don't know I don't know what vibe I'm giving off or if I'm being too guarded um as opposed to being too open um I just I'm just really at a loss as to how you're supposed to play it and also how you don't then kind of get hurt when someone does stop talking to you for whatever reason maybe they've met someone else or you know they've got other stuff going on in their lives and that's fine but I don't understand why just suddenly stop talking to someone so yeah any advice would be really helpful thank you Hey Kate, I am so sorry. That is really painful and I also know and remember the pain of that. It is unfortunately the really negative side effect of dating apps and I do think it comes from this dating app culture. Dating apps have normalised ghosting and there is nothing okay, acceptable or respectable about ghosting. The way I see it is that ghosting is cowardly no matter what the circumstances are. And I will just give a caveat because every time I talk about ghosting, this seems to come up. But if the person I'm talking about is abusive and you are an abuser, that is not ghosting. And I just ask that like when you listen to the podcast, when you consume my content on Instagram, please just use your common sense. Of course, I would never encourage people to stay with their abusers. And if you need to leave someone with having no contact, then absolutely go do that. But that is not ghosting. How I term ghosting and why I call it cowardly and I do believe is both cowardly and disrespectful is ghosting or how I term it is when you disappear without an explanation or communication. Clearly if someone's being abusing you there is a reason, there is communication and uh, an explanation prior to you ghosting that person and therefore it's not ghosting so please just use your common sense I must say one of my pet peeves is people deliberately misunderstanding me when it's completely not aligned to who my personality or my advice is so why the hell people think I would encourage people staying with their abusers makes no sense whatsoever to me and it is I must say the most frustrating part of being an online content creator but now I've gone on a massive tangent anyway so (laughs) back to ghosting When someone ghosts me, it is like a light switch with me. It is automatically any interest I had in you is gone. I am suddenly very unattracted to people who ghost. I am no longer interested in you. So frankly, forget whether you were interested in me. And therefore, I don't really care why you ghosted. I care that you did ghost. The way you flip this mentality round is, first of all, I have a whole podcast episode on this, so go give that a listen as well. But you have to remember that a person who ghosts doesn't just ghost you, they ghost other people too. And therefore, it's not about you, it's about them, it's about their behaviour and their fear and avoidance of having difficult conversations. So you need to see the bigger picture here. Do you want to be in a relationship with someone who ghosts? Whether they ghost partners or they ghost friends, you don't want to be in a relationship with someone who ghosts rather than simply sending a text saying, hey, I had a great time getting to know you, but it's not working out for me anymore. Take care. Like, it's really not that hard to send that text. I send that text all the time. And in my years of dating, 
I've only actually had one person take it badly. And the extent of take it badly, I mean, it wasn't even that bad. He just replied being like, it was just a joke, geez, but fine, lol, whatever. I mean, he did take it badly, but just in the way that he took it quite immaturely. But if that's the worst it's getting, and I know there are situations where it gets worse than that, but if someone's rude upon being rejected, then just dismiss it. The conversation's ended. You've said what you need to say and you can be proud of your behaviour that you ended it rather than ghosting. But I want a person who's able to engage in that difficult conversation and just doesn't run away just because it might be a hard or uncomfortable conversation. So if a person is not capable of sitting through that kind of conversation, what kind of partner would they be? probably the kind of partner who uses the silent treatment, doesn't communicate when there's an issue and then blows up when everything accumulates. Ghosting is also really aligned with the kind of partner who when you ask them what's wrong, they will say nothing even though you definitely know something is wrong. So when someone ghosts, to me it speaks volumes about the lack of emotional awareness and intelligence that they have And I am incredibly grateful for them leaving my life sooner rather than later because I see it as me dodging a bullet. And it's why I'm so turned off by it because I don't want to be in a relationship with that kind of person. And that's essentially what I believe the dating process is, is you figuring out what kind of person this is and whether that's the kind of person you actually want to date. And In the early stages of dating, I didn't really see dating that way because I was so honoured and grateful anytime anyone found me interesting that I never actually considered if I was interested in them, but more so whether they aligned with the behaviours, values and morals that I would not only want someone I'm dating to have, but the values and morals of what I would want my kids to have. And essentially that's how I date because I'm looking for marriage and because I am looking for kids. So I see dating as this filtering device. And even if you don't want marriage, even if you don't want kids, you definitely want a partner who communicates and you definitely want a partner who is respectable and treats other people with the respect enough to end a relationship rather than just disappearing. The next thing I would say is I want to address this rereading messages thing because the messages aren't going to tell you any new information. You are rereading messages to try to find hints and clues and things you could have foreseen. But if someone is saying what you want to hear because they know that's what you want to hear, then you aren't going to find any clues. And the people who say what you want to hear to elicit the kind of reaction they want are the kind of people who are just wanting attention and have no intention of following through or actually dating seriously at all. The thing about rereading messages is a lot of the time we reread messages to confirm that what actually happened did happen. The moment I started validating how I felt, regardless of what had actually happened or what had actually taken place or how serious we were, the moment I stopped rereading messages. So instead of trying to find that validation within the messages, find that validation within yourself and re- recognise the fact that no matter what they said, no matter what took place, how many dates you've been on, you are feeling that emotion inside you. So whatever you're feeling is valid. You are allowed to feel that way and actually create time for it. But looking to the messages is just causing yourself unnecessary pain and you really, really do not deserve that. There's also another thing that you said that you met up with them on occasion, which suggests that you're actually getting hurt by people who you've not met up with, that there are instances where you don't meet up with them since you said you only meet up with them on occasion. So we've all been there, me included, absolutely no judgment. I actually quite recently got hurt by someone I never actually met up with. And the key is also to get into real life as soon as possible. You know what? One of the most telling things I do is if someone is texting really long paragraphs, I simply send a message that says, this is all really interesting, would actually love to know more. My number is blah, give me a call sometime. And every single time I've done this, every single person who has sent more than one paragraph and I have done this to has never ever called me. They rarely even reply to that message and that's how I personally weed out the people who just want to text for ages, who find texting as entertainment on dating apps and don't actually have any interest in making this real. The last person who I did this to, I'm not joking, texted me eight paragraphs on Bumble. I replied to it once and then the next time 
time he did this and I was only sending like one paragraph like a normal length message he did it again and then I sent that message and he never called and that was a few months ago so I have a feeling he's never going to call can kind of close the book on that one but it does prove to me something that I felt was happening anyway which is that some people just like the entertainment of texting and if you aren't going to pick up the phone and call someone then you're likely also not going to go on a date with them either. Ultimately though I think the main problem here is you're getting too invested early on and it's a very easy thing to do because dating apps is not how societally this was how we were designed to meet and so to get attached to people and be invested that early on is so human. One of the things that prevented me from getting that hurt is I remind myself all the time that they don't know me. They aren't actually rejecting me because even after one or two dates, they don't know me. So imagine the equivalent amount of time that you would spend with an acquaintance at a party. Maybe you see them once or twice at a party. Put that number of hours together. Or maybe it's a friend's partner who you've seen for dinner twice. That's the equivalent amount of time. And if you asked your best friend something like, oh, would Kate be interested in going to this party? Your best friend would be able to answer that question. This stranger, though, would not. And that could be any question. It doesn't matter what the question is. The question could be, how does Kate feel about lateness? Do you think Kate would enjoy a date if I booked rock climbing? Uh, What's Kate's pet peeve? What would Kate think about this? they can't answer these questions about you they don't know you and therefore it's not a personal insult it's not you they are personally rejecting and that's how I take it less personally throughout this whole process my greatest solution though and this might be controversial is uh to not get so invested early on is I date more than one person at a time and I do think this could help you And I don't care if you're looking for a relationship or not, this truly works. And all this means is when you match with someone and you're talking to them over text, do not stop swiping because if you stop swiping, you're already investing more in them than they are in you. Don't stop swiping, don't stop messaging other people, even if you've gone on a first date, even a second date. My line is probably between the third and fifth date, but I do follow my intuition for this. But I've naturally found there's like a tipping point when I'm dating multiple people where I lose interest in all the others because one person has piqued my curiosity more so. And that's when I end it with the other people or make the decisions I need to make. But at that point, it's okay to invest because you've actually got to know the person. You've actually met them a few times. And it does benefit all the relationships at the same time because when you're dating multiple people, you raise your standards, you're not as invested and therefore you actually come across as the real you a lot more because you're not so invested in impressing them and you're not so concerned about impressing them. So you just turn up as you. I would just give this a try if you've never tried this before and that's one of the ways that helped but other things that I've found that help me naturally is that I've turned off all notifications on dating apps so that I only go on dating apps when I want to on my time. I don't remember their names until we go on a first date. I don't check how many matches or messages I have. So I actually don't notice when someone unmatches me. And so the final thing I do is I don't tell people about my first dates or even my second dates. All of these tools don't get my hopes up until that person is a person I have actually decided that I want to date. Forget whether they want to date me, but a person I am actually interested in. At that point, I'll start telling people about them because then it's actually someone I want to talk about. And finally, the last thing I want to say is that it's actually okay to let your heart hurt and I can hear it in your voice note and this suggests to me that you're not allowing yourself to be sad or giving yourself the permission to be sad for whatever reason and most people in this situation will often say to themselves, well I barely knew him so I shouldn't be upset. You're allowed to be upset, you can be upset, let yourself cry and grieve, telling yourself you shouldn't feel something when you do feel something is a pointless exercise because it doesn't matter why you're feeling something, it matters that you are. So you can also grieve and cry and learn better for next time, those two things don't have to contradict each other. So I'm sending you so much love, create some time in your day, maybe this evening, maybe later on this week to actually let it hurt and feel that full extent of the pain. And that means you won't be carrying that rejection or that sadness or your hurt into future relationships. I hope that helps and gives you some tools to get started. 
The thing I am working on at the moment is being careful about spiraling thoughts. So for me, one of the easiest ways to send me into a spiral is any form of sickness, illness or a symptom, obviously because I've had 15 surgeries, a lot of medical trauma. So I guess it's one of my triggers that if I even have a headache, there is a small piece of doubt that comes in, whether it's something more serious like a brain tumor, because well, I've been there and done that and I am very good at shutting down those thoughts now but as some of you know I've been doing physio three times a week to basically heal all of those things that I probably should have done after surgery but physio was never a really big thing back then because it wasn't something I got told to do so now medically people have advanced and they know the importance of rehabilitation and how much that reduces chronic pain but 20 years ago they didn't. And so I'm doing all this stuff that I should have done ages ago and a lot of this stuff around my abdominal muscles and because a lot of my scars are abdominal surgeries and all my scar tissue is there, it's causing a lot of digestion pain and digestion pain makes me worry it's an obstructed bowel because again, I've been there three times and so especially all of yesterday I could barely eat because it was just hurting so much and I basically had to reassure myself a lot breathe through and tell myself I'm safe and that this is normal over and over and one of the more reassuring thoughts I use is one where I tell myself that if it's something serious the pain will get worse and so I don't need to worry about it until it does get worse and that tends to stop it because obstructed bowels do get progressively worse whereas scar tissue pain will only affect my organs in the same way so it's a very niche problem but you might be able to take something away from this and apply it to your own life namely that there is always time to worry about something that's going to happen in the future at the time when it's actually happening but you don't need to pre-worry about things and this is what I'm telling myself every day at the moment and hopefully the pain will subside as I get stronger but I thought this would be relatable especially in the pandemic where health anxiety is probably the highest it has ever been. And that is it for the episode. As much as I love recording this podcast, it is boiling hot in here and I have not been able to turn on the fan or anything because of the noise, so I'm looking forward to doing that. But thank you so much all for your questions. This podcast couldn't happen without your voice notes and I really appreciate anyone who sent a question my way. We are coming towards the end of season two. Wow, time does fly. I can't believe we are even in season two, let alone ending season two i'm probably only going to do one or two more episodes maybe um but if you would like to squeeze in a question before the season ends then send an email to in all honesty at mindsetforlife.co.uk the question does need to be in voice note format and the email address will be in the description below if you didn't catch that in the meantime you can get either of my books either am i ugly or the joy of being selfish you can find me online at scar not scared on most things and I will speak to you next week thank you so much for listening bye planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.